Welcome to the Analytics of Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Jordan McNamara, and this is the NFL Draft Week. So we're recording you know, a couple days before the the NFL Draft, and I say we because I have a guest uh, and someone I've been excited to talk to for a while now, uh, and we've been sort of going back and forth, and we got sure. our schedules right, and here we are. So we'll welcome into the podcast, Pete Davidson. Pete, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Jordan, thanks for having me, man. This is uh, a high energy week, right? Yeah, it's like you got to get the, uh, you know, you got to get the the coffee flowing. You got to get, you know, you got to get your exercise in. You got to get the blood going because it's going to be some long nights coming up. So, um, yeah, and it's like I'm in New York and it's it's been tough to get like a good night's sleep in my area the last month or so. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm definitely running on fumes and coffee. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the coffee consumption we ran out for like I'll say ah. it was maybe like maybe like twelve hours, and it was a it was a very tenuous <laughs> time. Like it was <laughs> twelve hours. That's awesome. I'm just touch and go. <laughs> it's touch and go for twelve hours there. I was oh, like, I gotta go to bed. I can't. I can't stay up in this in this world. Um, what yeah, like so drink water? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's just you know, was there tea? Like I found some tea kicking around, so I did that. But yeah, it's uh, the coffee is a necessity, and it's funny because I don't have the work coffee to to drink, and so I realize how much I'm I'm actually drinking when I'm working from home. It's uh, a little bit alarming, but uh, we'll get through it. Um, all right. Yeah. So I I wanted to have you come on the podcast and and talk. Uh, we and like I said, we've been talking about doing this for a while, and this is a great week for it. Um, you know, you're we were talking before the podcast that yeah. You are uh, what I would consider more of a more of a film guy. I yeah, that's host, true. Guilty I as host, charged. <laughs> I host a podcast called The Analytics of Dynasty, so I'm on sort of the the analytics side. Yeah, I find, and there was a period of time like when we first like you know met up on Twitter or whatever. Like it, you right. would tweet things that I was like uh, like Pizza Count is like my burner. Like it was, it, it essentially was my burner. It was so funny that like you were seeing the same things in just a different way. Uh, and it's just very funny in terms of how all of that came out. So it's a, it's good to sort of have you here and, um, and to talk about your process a little bit. So you, you're pretty big on film. Is there a position you think that you're, that you're sort of better at in terms of, you know, that like strengths and weaknesses at your position? Like, what do you feel really good about doing? You mean which positions do I have the most confidence in generally from yes. film work? Yes. Um, well, I'm going to say running back and quarterback just because it's easier to find good film on them. Um, receivers, sometimes you have to fill in the blanks a little bit because unless you have college all 22, you're, you know, you're, 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 you, you watch a guy get off the line, you see the catch, you see after the catch, but you didn't see the crucial part of the route. Um, so sometimes receivers require occasionally a leap of faith. Sometimes it's just a matter of really having to do more work. Um, but, you know, in general, I get there. But um, receivers are harder in that sense. Um, and, and tight ends can fit into that category as well, where it's easy to find, it's easy to get footage, footage of your tight end blocking. But if you want to actually judge his routes, you really have to dig. Um, so, you know, from that standpoint, um, quarterbacks and um, running backs are just easy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, 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 in all honesty, I, I come to this. I, I was a this is sort of a, a tangent, but I, like I was a teaching pro, a tennis teaching pro. Um, I, I coach college tennis. I used to give tennis lessons, that kind of thing. 
you know, I was a certified tennis professional, yada, yada, yada. Um, but one of the good things about that is that I had no choice but to get good at not just knowing the proper technique, but being able to actually see it, to see when I, when I see bad technique, to see when I see good technique. Um, so making the transition to NFL film probably was helped by the fact that I, you know, I used to coach a sport. Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I'll, I'll sort of come back. I have a question I always ask at the end, but it's always interesting when people incorporate stuff outside of football to football. Yeah. Like that always interests me in terms of process wise. Yeah. Okay. You know what? Similar kind of thing. Like, uh, you know, again, I, I, I played tennis most of my life, you know, all sports most of my life, but tennis was the one where I was sort of far enough along to actually become a, you know, a, a tennis professional. Right. Um, and then I coached college and yada, yada. Um, and then similarly, when I worked for the Mets, I, I worked in pro baseball for a while, about almost 15 years. And when I actually first got into fantasy uh, sports, I think, yeah, yeah. The first thing I ever actually did was fantasy baseball. And one of the things I used to do, and again, I just happened to be in a position to do it. But when I would get off work on a game day, uh, I had, a, you know, I had a, I had my little Met ID and I could go anywhere I wanted, um, you know, except for like the locker room on game day. So I used to go plant myself behind home plate and sit with the scouts and watch pitchers. Um, and, you know, that gave me an insight a into what real scouts were thinking about pitchers, because if you hang out with the scouts, they will talk to you just for what it's worth. So I would sit behind home plate, talk to the road scouts, and they would just give me tips on like pitching technique and stuff like that. And that sort of started my whole film over analytics thing. I like I remember I went into a baseball draft and it was actually in the old jet locker room at Shea Stadium. Um, and everybody's got their laptop and they're running like their Bill James software. You know, this is like <laughs> 1999 or something like that. And I'm sitting there with like 12 magic markers and a poster board <laughs> you know? and, 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 and a couple, you know, sheets of, um, legal and, and like a legal pad or four legal pads, I think is what I had. And everybody's looking at me like, Oh my God, we're going to crush this guy. Right. Um, and then we go into the, like, um, you know, when the draft is over, they're all running the numbers, um, on their laptops and like literally saying, oh, here's who's going to win the league. And I'm sitting there going, what the blank are you guys talking about? Yeah. Like, what do you guys, what do you mean who's going to win the league? They haven't played any games yet. Like they've already got the standings all planned out. And it's like, yeah, Pete, you're dead last by like 15 points. Um, and I won that league by 20 points. Right. So <laughs> like that, that was when I first realized that there's like an exploitable place when you're the person who's not using analytics. Yeah. Um, it doesn't necessarily make you better. It could make you worse. But the one thing it definitely will do is make you different. Yeah. I think there's value in that, right? In sort yeah. of, and whether it's, whether it's in trades or whether it's in, in roster construction or whether it is in, you know, in, in evaluation or whatever it is. Like if, if 11 people are doing it the same, like it just, being the the twelfth person that's on the other side, if everyone's like systematically wrong, like if there's a systematic flaw in the process, like you're gonna capitalize because you're not in on that. You know what I mean? Like you have the yeah the sort of the random residual we'll call it, or the you know the crazy outcome sort of breaks towards you because you're not dependent on it as much as everyone else is. So it's it's interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, the, and like read the room sometimes, right? Like I have nothing against 
zero RB drafting. Like, I think mm. it's a pr- perfectly viable way to go about doing it. I'm not generally a zero RB drafter, but I, I have absolutely nothing against it. But if you're in a draft and nine out of 12 people are drafting zero RB, I, you know, I can promise you I won't be drafting zero RB. You know, like there's a tipping point for anything. Yeah, totally, totally. Being on the other side of it. And you know, we were talking a little bit earlier, and I, I found it interesting, our conversation sort of before we talked. I, I'll, I'll have guests on, you know, I'll be talking, and I'll, I wish I had started recording right from the beginning because um, <laughs> it's sometimes it's the best conversations. But you, It's so true. It's so yeah, true. Yeah, you, you talked a little bit about – so you're, you're in on film, and, but I'm interested in sort of how you deal with draft pedigree in terms of yeah. – in terms of your, you might have a take on a player. Um, yeah. but do you, you know, when you, and you dropped your wide receiver rankings and we were talking about those earlier today too, mm-hmm. do you, in those rankings, do you sort of have a, uh, whether it's a, you know, this is sort of where I feel they're going to go in the draft. Is it totally independent of that? Um, I guess I'll start there. Do you sort of bake in yeah. what you expect in the draft to happen in your rankings now pre-draft? No, I don't. Okay. So, so yours are just totally talent-based. Um, talent-based, skill-based, however, whatever words you want to use. I mean, they're how I see the players. I'm much more into profiling players than necessarily giving them like a one to 10 grade. Um, I'm, I'm much more interested in trying to get to know a player, to understand what his limitations might be, to understand what he's good at, you know, the whole air quote now, how he wins Mm -hmm. thing. Um, that stuff is all very important to me. Um, so let me see what I'm just going to, I'm looking at the board now. Um, let's talk about rugs. Rugs yeah, for a second. I was okay. going to bring him up. So that's good. So he, he's a good example where he's four on my board right now, my wide receiver board. He's a guy who could move up or down. A lot of these guys, it's going to be tough to move them up or down my rankings, but rugs for me, if he goes to a team where I'm concerned about his volume, like there's a big volume monster already on that team and I'm looking at the paradigm and it's like, man, they could use this guy in a lot of deep stuff. That might be what he's going to do. Then I might sour a little bit in terms of wanting to pull the trigger. But by the, you know, on the other side, if I see him go to a team where I know that this team likes to scheme for players and likes to take a player's skill set and work that into the scheme, then all of a sudden I'm pushing rugs up. Right. So you know, I on some level, I'm doing that with every player. Ruggs is a good example of a player who's got, you know, his his appeal to me can move up and down quite a bit based on where he lands. I've heard from it's funny you say that because I've heard from people in the analytics community uh, essentially the same argument, which is that, yeah. They don't like the analyst community doesn't like him from a, you know, he, right. he never broke out. He low dominator, dominator right. yeah, yo, low yards uh, per route run, all of those things. But essentially yep. the argument was, and I found it, it actually pretty interesting, which is that he would benefit from going to a bad passing game because essentially he exactly has a lower threshold to clear to get you know, 20% market share or whatever it is, you know, how a hundred targets, 120 targets, something like that. Like he has a lower place to go than to go with a wide receiver who, you know, uh, some sort of target monster. I don't know. I'm just, um, you know, just like if he went to, I don't know, like the Colts or something like that. Not that, you know, they, uh, 
or a place like Denver, for example, where they have two really good wide receivers, you know, they have a, a good wide receiver and they have a good tight end and they've got backs that can catch the ball. Like that's a little bit tougher for him to get there than like going to the Jets, I would think, because yeah, like, it, that's a more open it, scenario. Like, yeah, if you could take rugs and put him on the Colts, but then not have Paris Campbell there, mm-hmm. that'd be amazing for rugs. <laughs> I, I think the fact that Paris is there is they, they've got a lot of the same stuff that I like in them. Um, and I don't know that there's room for two guys like that in that offense. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I think a lot of the things that people bring up on rugs as negatives, they're, they're viable things. I just think when the rubber meets the road, they're going to be on the losing side of the argument. That's all. Is but, he just I mean, they're, asking, get... they're asking the right questions. I think. Yeah. Is he just I a just get guy? I'm sorry. Is he just a deep threat or do you see more than that? I don't uh, yeah, I see a lot more than that. Okay. I mean, first of all, I, I, I'm a big believer in receivers being able to develop. I think all receivers do develop. Um, you know, and there's been a couple coaches that have said things about, and I think in particular quarterbacks, so I'm sort of jumping things here. Mm-hmm. Like a coach will say something like, you know, you can't develop a quarterback after college. And it's a smart coach who said it. And then the whole community jumps onto that and says, quarterbacks are what they are when they leave college, which is, of course, ridiculous Mm -hmm. um but there is something and i think mike leak is the guy mike leach is the guy who said it but and there's something to what he's saying what he's saying is that don't fall into this trap of i can fix him that's what he's saying but people sort of take it and run with it and say quarterbacks you know don't grow in the nfl when they obviously do um and receivers to me are the same way now rugs is a guy because he's never been a volume receiver, there's certain parts of his game, the route running rhythm and stuff like that, that he hasn't had a chance to really work on that. If he gets into a different situation, maybe he will. And, you know, another thing about Alabama, they get their, how many games are the Alabama starters out early? You know? Right. A lot of them. (laughs) Right. So, so, you know, but like, you know, if, look, you know, if we took rugs and Jalen Rieger and they switched teams, what would the data look like? You know? Yeah, pro- it would probably be a lot different, right? Yeah. It, it, it would definitely be different. So, yeah. you know, and, and people would then probably have a whole different list of concerns with rugs. Um, the, the shape of a player's data has so much to do with the shape of the offense they play in. I mean, it's it really does. So I, I'm, I, I think dominator rating is, you know, market share and all that stuff. I, I have no problem with using it. I just feel like it's an overused thing like i think it has utility but i think people lean on it too much yeah it's, it's interesting i think there's any any stat people can overdo it with right and it's sort of yeah, what yeah. what's the yeah and there's there should be exceptions like there's and sort of what you said too i i i really agree with it which is that like you assume that someone comes into the the nfl and they can't change like that's a 21 22 year old kid I mean, he's a a young man. He's been on TV, all of those things. Yeah, I get it. But like, what's the difference between, I mean, the difference between me at 22 and 25 is a massive difference, right? I think any of us would say that. And to to not think that that would be true for a football player is, I think, a totally flawed, you know, presumption. Yeah. And I mean, the idea that the coaching doesn't get better at the NFL level is flawed. Um, you know, the idea that when you do something year round instead of seasonally, 
Um, now, granted, some of these college football players basically are doing it year round. But you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, going from being a college athlete to being a professional, it's a whole new level of commitment. Um, so, you know, and look, does everybody get more serious as a professional? No, not everybody, but a lot of guys do. Um, and, and and like you said, a lot of it's just natural. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I use myself as a tennis player. I mean, I was a better tennis player at 27 than I was at 21, even though I was a better athlete at 21 than I was at 27, you know? So, and, and quarterbacks actually are a great example. I mean, cause you, you know, quarterbacks are sort of like, you know, like fighter pilots, because you can't simulate the things they need to learn. They, they need the starts, you know, um, you know, time in the sim or whatever. It's not the mm-hmm. same as actually being on the field, um, which is actually, there's a whole tangent conversation here, by the way. My um, The podcast I normally do with my buddy Jim Hackett, we've been talking for years about how, and it, it's really theory, but we wonder, like, what is the whole status of, the flight simulator for a quarterback. I would think that as technology keeps improving and, you know, AWS and all that stuff that a really smart NFL team at some point soon, if not already is bringing digital learning to the quarterback position. Um, and I think it's an interesting thing to think about because yeah, t- like, if you go, if, if you go back to 1985, the only way your quarterback's learning is in a game. And I think technology-wise, maybe that's – if it hasn't changed, it's something that can change. Yeah, totally, totally. I, do you find any humor in the like NFL's inability to like figure out this remote drafting thing? Like I was, I was sitting here today, and I'm like reading this tweet. They're like, oh, yeah, the, the system broke <laughs> in the that. first pick. And I'm like, uh, like you and I are in a draft right now. Literally, I'm in a dispersal draft where it's, it's on Google Spreadsheet. Like the picks, right. like the picks are Google right. spreadsheet. And I'm like, uh, like, listen, is it ideal? No. But I'm like, you guys can't like, I just think of like what the NBA would do. Like Mark Cuban would be like, no, I got this. Like, I'll like, give me 20 minutes. I'll come up with a solution. And all these, like all these football guys, are like, I, I can't figure out a computer. It's just, it's comical to me. I think on some level, some of these teams are just sort of playing dumb. I mean, if Gettleman is actually alone in a room with a laptop, <laughs> <laughs> I'll eat my freaking hat, you know. Um, so I think, and I think it's sort of like the same thing with analytics. I think a lot of NFL teams act stupid with analytics because they don't want people to actually know how much analytics they're actually using. Um, I mean, I could be wrong about that, but I, you know, I think a lot of teams view anything inside the process as secret sauce. They'd rather mm-hmm. have people calling them stupid than know what they're doing. Yeah, I would agree with that. And like, it's clear that the Patriots do it, and he's and Belichick yeah. always downplays yeah. it. You know. Yeah, absolutely. So, Who knows how many floors are underneath that facility? Right, right, <laughs> it exactly. Like, it could be like fifty for all he know. Right. There's there was a ton of analytics on deflating the ball. I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> let there me actually you... are. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I didn't realize until it don't, happened how many of them. Don't, don't get me going on Deflategate. I just I don't please. We're gonna take that's a hard what, left what, turn. Deflategate is one of those things where I can't talk to anybody on it because yeah. I'm like between the Patriot fans and the rest. Yeah. Like I think Deflategate was way overblown, but then like you get Patriot fans who are like, it didn't even happen. It was nothing. It's like, yeah, okay, dude, sure, <laughs> nothing, whatever. <laughs> yeah, just, it was a total accident. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's take a hard well, left turn. I mean, we could be here know, for an hour. It's, you know, <laughs> so I, I, I think some of those. Actually, you know what? You're right. Let's just stop right there. <laughs> 
don't get me started right now. How let's uh, take a yeah, we'll take a hard turn to to you. How do you consume news right now? And uh, you know, I I think that there and I saw someone pretty pretty smart say uh, relatively recently like I I get a lot of my information 2 weeks out. And then I sort of from 2 weeks out until the draft, that's when I have a lot of concerns about, you know, whether I'm being spawned or it was someone in the media. I forget who it was. I wish I'd give him credit. Um, I think I had retweeted their tweet at some point uh, when they said it, but it was basically like two weeks out. That's sort of when I, I know I'm getting, you know, they have studied the player. They sort of have an idea of where he is. And then it sort of warps. And I'm wondering how, I think this year it's, we're in such a black box in terms of information because there's no pro days and I just feel like the news cycle is totally different this year because we're dealing with other stuff. How are you yeah. reacting to whether that's too, or, you know, big, let's talk big picture and then we'll go down into some people, but how, how do you okay. sort of react to news that you're hearing right now? Uh, I mean, like what kind of news? <laughs> like, like the Tua I mean, stuff. Just like rumors where a guy's going to be drafted and stuff like that. Like we'll, we'll, we'll talk specifically about Tua, like that Tua okay. is, you know that there's. I've heard three people have him off the draft board. I heard multiple. Are right. multiple of those are in the top ten. I've heard someone else say that there's two, and that was. It was a while. That was a couple of weeks ago. It seems like mm-hmm. five or six years ago now, but it was probably like two weeks ago that I heard that. Right. Um, you know, and so I, I sort of wonder how much of that smokescreen, how much of it's not. I mean, how do you sort of sort through all that? I tend to just not sort at all to be honest. Um, and it's probably has something to do with the fact that I'm older and I've been through so many of these drafts that the actual, you know, the game of like predicting where guys are going to go and stuff like that. It's just like, I don't even engage in it. I'm much more interested in just sucking up all the film I can to get as good a feel for these players as I can get. So, because then I can really quickly do my assessments on fit for scheme. Cause for me, that's when like, that's when my most serious thinking really happens is when I start going, Oh, okay. CD lamb's a Raider now. Okay. That's now I can really get into what I really want to invest in this guy. And you know, when you're, when you're, when you have to fit 50 guys, you know, that's a lot of mental work to go through. Um, So I'm much more about trying to get as much of these players into my memory as I can. Um, That may sound weird, but, that that's sort of how I do it. Um, and, and it's funny. I, a couple of years ago, I started trying to get a little bit more, I, I tried to get my process a little bit more. I don't even know how to put this, but public friendly. I tried to get my process to a place where people would respect it more, if that makes sense. And I've gone away from that because I, I don't so much care if people respect my process <laughs> um, because it, it, in the end, it doesn't really matter. Um, it, it's funny. I read this book by a guy named David Eagleman. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. No, I He's haven't. He's a pretty bright guy. He wrote this book. It's called Incognito. And it's about how the human brain works. It's about how your your conscious brain relates to your subbrain and the power of the subbrain and a whole bunch of stuff like that. It's a great book. And when I read it, it really hit home for me because it, it it hit on a bunch of notes that I always thought were true, but I couldn't prove it. And this guy went and proved it for me, which I really appreciate. And it made me understand that my process really does work. And like, I, I actually understand why it works now. Um, so a- after I read that book, I decided to get away from this posting my notes and all of this stuff 
and just get back to doing what I do, which is watch these players. And I like to get to the point where I can basically close my eyes and see the player. It might sound weird, but that's how I do it. Like I lie in my bed at night and when I fall asleep, I'm thinking of Justin Jefferson and I'm sitting there with my eyes closed and I'm going, oh, he's coming out of the slot. One step, two step, five steps inside, you know, and and I'm thinking about how he moves, what he is. That's how I do it. And then and what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to profile each guy in terms of what actually is in the skill set. What is what does he do? Well, what you know, and, and the other thing that is important you have to be able to look at how a college offense uses a player. And then you have to be able to say, okay. <clears throat> and like Ohio state players are particularly, particularly tough in this regard. Like, okay. Um, you know, can Michael Thomas run an out route? Cause you don't really see him running right. at Ohio state. Right. Right. And like, we literally watched me and my, my partner who I do film with, we watched Michael Thomas. We probably watched every single one of his games over and over and over. And we finally found, different types of cuts that he made after the catch that we felt related to his ability to run out routes. I mean, it, and I know I'm probably losing a lot of people right now, but like, like that's the level you need to get to where, because, and especially with receivers, because there's so much information, you know, again, some like, like Matt Harmon can get film that I can't get. Okay. So yeah. If I could, if I could get all 22 on every single college game, it would be a little bit different. But because you sometimes have to fight, you literally have to create things that aren't there. Um, so for me, it's like there's no way I could ever watch too much film. So I'm going to err on the side of that versus saying, okay, well, I've watched enough of Player X. I'm going to go start reading what other people think of Player X. For me, it's much better to just keep watching Player X. At what point do you do you consume other people's film, call it film grades, film notes, film analysis? Like, do you at, at what point good. you don't? OK, got it. I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to lie. I mean, like, I'm not going to say that I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, let me see. No, the answer to the question is yes. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. I'm, you're not at all. Um, via osmosis, I'm on Twitter. I am going to hear other people's ideas and takes, right. um, you know, occasionally I'll watch a Matt Waldman boiler room video or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, you know, there are people who I trust. So maybe, you know, uh, Nick Whalen's a buddy of mine. I like Nick. Um, he and I generally have different takes, but when he's completely in a different place from me, I might go watch that player again. Mm -hmm. Not, I'm not going to adopt Nick's viewpoint, but I'm going to reassess my own. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so now having said that, I don't have a, my film process is not just me. Um, I watch film with, well, not with, but I go through my process every year with my uncle who um, was a high school quarterback. He was a college quarterback. He was a college football position coach. Um, you know, he knows he's forgotten more football than I'll ever know. And he's the guy who's taught me most of what I know about technique. Um, so, you know, he sort of keeps me within the rails sometimes with certain players. So, I, you know, it, I, I just want to be upfront with that. I, you know, my process isn't just me on an island. Um, but, you know, so who's a good person? I'm just trying to. Um, 
Dwayne McFarlane is really good. Okay. And if Dwayne comes out and there's say there's a player that I really like, like if Dwayne came out yesterday and goes, dude, Justin Jefferson is going to be the bust of the century. That would rock me a little bit. Yeah. I'd be like, really? Oh man. But what would happen if that happened? And it's not because Dwayne's not going to say that because Dwayne's good. But, (laughs) (laughs) but if that happened, I would probably grab five Justin Jefferson games, go through them, and then go, man, Dwayne's smoking something today. <laughs> you know, I would probably end up sticking with my take. But there are people who will bring me back to the board, if you will. Interesting. Yeah, it's always that that process. And we were talking about this before we hit record, which is that when I, you know, when I was before I really started producing fantasy football content, I was a consumer of fantasy football content. And it it yeah. got to the point where it was I was trying to consume so much that it was totally clouding my ability to make decisions. It was it was if too you much. Get, if you if you if you read everybody and then you sort of, you know, bring all that together, your, your rankings are going to be like ADP. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's that exactly right. Answer, right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I, I, I mean, I know ADP. I think ADP is really important. But for me, it's just market value. You know, it's just what do I need to pay to get player X or how, how, how far can I let player X fall before I need to pounce or or whatever? It's just it's just good behavioral information on the people I'm going to be drafting against. Yeah. So you haven't baked in draft costs right now or anticipated draft costs right now how will that how will you know we're recording this monday night before the draft so a week from now right how what what we sort of look at what will you in terms of whether it's whether it's specific landing spot whether it's you know nfl draft round or or, you know what i I call it capital or you know pedigree that or is it fit or is it um you know if if someone goes a lot higher or lower than you might, you know, just expect going into the process. Sort of how do you deal with all of that? Right. Well, sometimes guys go higher than I expect, but they actually get drafted right into where I have the grade. You know what I mean? So sure. in that situ- in that situation, it might not move my feeling of the player at all. It, in fact, usually it bums me out because it's a player that I was sort of hoping I could get on the cheap. You know, like John Brown, we had a really high pre-draft grade on John Brown. Love and then he went, dude. If, if memory serves, he got drafted by Arizona in like the third round. Yeah. And I remember like my phone rang like 10 seconds later and it was, it was my uncle. And he's like, oh, well, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> we, we thought John Brown would be like a fifth or sixth round pick. And we were going to be able to just get him dirt cheap. Um, as it turned out, we, you know, you had to pay up if you wanted him. Um, so, it, you know, things can go like that. But then sometimes there's a guy um let's go with the guy you and i talked before we started recording um you know a guy like Miko hardman where my grade on Miko hardman was not as high as his draft capital ended up being but then you also fit the whole scheme fit stud quarterback andy reed and then you throw in the tyreek hill might be in jail thing and all of a sudden Miko hardman is moving up my board <laughs> you right. know um, so yeah i mean i'm more than willing to you know, take my ego and put it completely off the table and do what needs to be done when, when things like that happen. Yeah. The, the uncertainty in that Miko Hardman thing was, it was pretty wild in terms of like, 
him going to Kansas City, you had all this upside, and then you had, I mean, there was a lot, and I don't know if people forget this. I mean, we I remember living through it pretty vividly with right. all the stuff that happened and and it was you know that that was it seemed like the ideal fit when he got drafted there and then you know we'll sort of see how that turns out long term but it's it was it certainly yeah. you know because people were essentially saying he's Tyreek Hill 2.0 and you know then Tyreek Hill well skates that was similar <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he, he, I mean yeah he's definitely not Tyreek 2.0 but you know I mean he's got some things that might be better than Tyreek you know but sure. he just doesn't have Tyreek's Tyreek's got that that strength factor that Hardman's never going to have. Yeah, totally. And He's you brought up squat. <laughs> yeah, you brought up one of my favorite players of all time, John Brown. Love that dude. And uh, he uh, coming yeah. into this getting a little bit off the the rookie track, but coming into the, like last season, I didn't think that he could be like a true sort of outside the numbers. Uh, why you know leading wide receiver for a team he he really proved that to me last year like he was awesome um yeah i i i I would not have doubted his ability to do it my concern would be 16 games out of john brown that that would be my concern um it was nice to see him stay healthy for sure smoky's a lot of fun he is man those the I'm a Bills fan, and it's nice to see some passing game there oh okay okay yeah john brown's a good example of 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 me being able to be flexible because I like hand size on a receiver. I like receivers with big hands, but you have to be willing to say, wait a minute, this guy, it doesn't matter. Like mm-hmm. John Brown's got tiny little hands, but if you watch him play, he's got, he's got that classic receiver technique. He surrounds the football. So, you know, hand size is just not a factor with him. Um, whereas some guys, they really use the big hands to their advantage. Henry Ruggs is a good example. Yeah. John Brown's just such a, He's just such a badass. It's just, I just love that dude. Um, no, he really is. Yeah, he, he's, he's just he 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 really plays. You, you you know, not to get too esoteric here, but you can't measure heart, and some guys yeah. they really have it, and he's one of them. Yeah, he certainly is. He certainly is. What do you? Uh, can we? Let's go to quarterbacks quick, and I'm interested okay. to see what you think about. Like, if if I had to bet straight up right now. I haven't looked at the Vegas lines or anything like that recently, but if I had to bet straight up right now, I would take Herbert is, I think Herbert's the most likely quarterback two in this class. Um, just be, yeah. I just, I, wait, the wait, two, do you mean, are you talking selected. like on your board or no, no, oh, okay. Selected. Oh, okay. selected. Okay. I, th- I think, I think he's going to go ahead of Tua um, okay. just because of, well, I think know. the, I think the injury thing's real. Um, and yeah. I think that turns real. And like, it's, it has been enough now where, you know, I might not worry about it and I might have a different decision making, but then again, I can operate like a Google spreadsheet and, you know, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that the NFL sort of looks at the world the same way that I do in terms of like embracing risk and those sorts of things. So I think that that, and they haven't gotten their hands on him. I mean, there's a ton of uncertainty and in fairness, they're going to, it's an eight figure investment into something that you just, it's kind of a black box with him. Um, so I'm a little bit concerned about it. What do you in terms of where his where he could land up in the draft, what do you think about Tua versus Herbert in terms of skill wise? And then um, I'll also loop in um, Jordan Love into that conversation. I wonder what you think about the three of those guys in terms of skill wise. Okay, um, Tua is not really on my board personally, just because of the injury stuff. Um, because I just feel like in a super flex league, the investment level is going to be really, really high. Um, 
so I'm probably not going to be in the Tua business, although I sort of would like to be, <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, it's I, like, I can't say I feel good about what I just said, if, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I, I just see him as a guy that his size, the fact that he already has an injury history and one significant injury that's a little scary, and the fact that if he's going to pay off, the wheels are going to be a big part of it. That's a game I'm probably going to be hesitant to play. Um now, that could have something to do with the fact that all my super flex teams are stacked at quarterback, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm not a volume trader type. So, you know, if I was the kind of person who had a lot of tr- time to trade and I was a volume trader, I might just try to take two and flip him or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but in terms of draft and hold, and he's going to be one of my QBs, I'm probably not going to play that game just because of the risk. Um, that said, I really like Tua. <laughs> okay, so yeah. just. Just to be clear, um, Burrow is not my kind of fantasy quarterback. So I'm probably not going to be in the Joe Burrow business either. Um, Herbert, I like Herbert, but if the investment is going to be like first round dynasty pick, no thank you, like in capital letters with an exclamation point, <laughs> um, just just no thank you. Um, and now I I think there's a lot of really interesting aspects to Herbert's game. I think some people are underrating him as an athlete, um, but you know he's got a long body. I think those you know quarterbacks with super long bodies are inherently risky. You have to be really special for me to get interested in you at six six and above. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh Allen was an exception because he, he's one of these guys where he's that big, but his he's got such a strong core. He does not move like a six seven athlete um and, and alan is what six six and a fraction six, or something like yeah that? six five six six something like that oh uh, yeah so you know he for me it's about movement like if you can you can be really long if you carry the weight i'll ignore it i don't feel like herbert carries it that well where i'm just where i'm going to be buying it um the guy i really love is love and I'm really bummed out because suddenly I haven't been paying attention because I'm a New York person and I'm, I've been living the COVID life. But yeah. like before, before the combine, I, I like when I was talking about Jordan Love, I the general vibe I was getting was like he could be a third round pick in the NFL draft or a second rounder. Now it sounds like he's going to be a first round pick. So my dream of getting Jordan Love in like mid late second round of super flex rookie drafts sounds like it's not going to happen. Which is really bumming me out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's funny. I like, say, I like Jordan Love a lot. Yeah. It's funny you say that because, like, I, I'm looking at the. Um, so I have this data tracker that tracks currently ongoing drafts right now. And um, so they're all startup drafts, but I can sort of extrapolate from that rookie ordering. Okay. And uh, I have. Are you about uh, to make me happy? <laughs> I've got Jordan Love at 14. Uh, okay. All right. That's, so that's. Yeah. Okay. And you got and Justin Herbert's at 10. Um, and, you know, he's basically in a what's interesting to me is you're seeing Tua like Tua has fallen a little bit. And I think it reflects in the I'll call it the real I'll call it the real fantasy market. He has fallen a little bit, which I, I feel like is reflective of what is going on in the you know, the, the real NFL market in terms of some the of the news. Yeah, I feel like it's tracking that a little bit. Like you've seen him, um, for example, like in this, like he was he was basically right next to 
J.K. Dobbins as as rookie four in Superflex, uh, and that has opened up a little bit more um, okay. in the past. We'll call it week or so. Um, it's not a ton; like it hasn't opened up, but it's more than it's more than a pick where they were like essentially the same. Number, you know, so it's trending. That's that that's interesting. In that Dobbins didn't run at the combine and he came in light. Yeah, he was one of those so, uh, for him at the combine. I, don't get me wrong; a, I like Dobbins a lot. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but generally speaking, if you're light and you don't run, that's gonna hurt your buzz. Yeah, and it's funny because like if it, knowing what we know now, like he would have been better off to like drink all the salt and all the water that he could get into his body and come in at like yeah, it, like it, I don't know about you, but like I have. I, I am pretty convinced that like, if you told me like, Hey, you need to weigh 15 pounds more by like X date and I could do it in a way that like, or 10 pounds or whatever, like I could do it in a way that, that wouldn't really cost me long-term. Like, it's just going to be, you can eat a little bit more carbs, can you drink a little bit more water, have some more salt and well, sort of, you have to, and then you not pee, have, right? Like, <laughs> you have to be careful with the water weight though, because you don't want to like fail the pee test because you're loaded with water. That's true. That's true. Um, it's that's tricky. true. <laughs> that, that's that would be the concern. But like you hear guys like Zeke Elliott will talk about like, yeah, I try and put on like 10 pounds of water before like get like these just insane amount of um, insane amount of water intake. And it's like uh, if if J.K. Dobbins weighs what he weighed at the combine, like why? And again, we now we know how the story unfolded. and He was never going to need to run. But like just putting up 215, 220 would have. And then without a speed, like it would have been, it, it probably would have helped him in terms of narrative. I'm sort of with you on that. If um, he comes in, at, if he comes in at 212, it would have helped. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, not to get stupid about it. I, I mean, would would 212 change my take on him? No. But it, 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 I think, and that's one thing that we, it, this is worth discussing. Actually, I think is that, you know, whether I think an NFL running back has a material difference between 215 and 210 isn't as relevant as the fact that the NFL teams do think it matters. Oh, it definitely right? matters for them. So if it matters to them, it needs to matter to us because we're not in control. They are right. So, you know, I thought Duke Johnson had the size to be a back who can handle 18, 20 touches a week. Well, guess what? The NFL disagrees with me. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know? Totally. And you look at like the, I went and I did some research on it just to see what the, what the size you know, how much weight mattered because I've always thought I'd yeah. rather have my running backs bigger. And the average running back is, uh, that finishes with a top 24 season. Like over the past, it's been, I think I went back to 08. It's been 215, right? Yeah, so, and that, that was actually, sense. it was a little bit smaller than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be approaching right. 220, but 215 makes a little sense. And actually the, the elite guys, uh, you know, the guys that I cut it off at like 212, it comes down like almost a pound. I think it was like 214 and change, something like that. Um, mm -hmm. which from a receiving centric point of view, like I, I can, it, that makes sense to me, but it's still, it's still mid to tens, you know, and that, yeah, that I mean, being there, all below that is concern. There's always going to be like an ebb and a flow and some randomness to that stuff. Right. I mean, I remember when I first got on Twitter, some of the worst arguments I got in, and, and, and if you notice, save for politics, you don't see me arguing on Twitter very much these days. But when, when I first, this is back in like 2011, um, what, and when I first got on Twitter, and you know, you're, you just got in and you're just getting into fantasy and you just started writing. So, you know, you want to have some opinions, right? And 
back then, you may or may not remember this, but back then there was a real strong movement to big receivers. Yeah. Like, like if you weren't a big receiver, dynasty people didn't want to know you, right? Like it, you know, this was back when, you know, everybody, when it was Calvin Johnson and, you know, Julio and, um, you know, Terrell Owens and AJ Green and, you know, on and on and on all these different guys. And like all, if, if you went through the top 10 receivers, they were all these big long body types. Right. So I understand why people went there, but my thing was always, yeah, that's fine, but don't start ruling out smaller receivers. Right. Cause the most important thing is always going to be, are they good at the game? That's always going to be the most important thing. Right. And of course, you know, Antonio Brown comes along and T Y Hilton comes along and you know, they take the whole theory and just smash it to bits. Right. But you know, there was a time where you would lose the argument on Twitter if you were arguing for small receivers. And, you know, it was just a matter of Antonio Brown wasn't around yet. <laughs> That's all it was, right? And now you actually have people arguing that, no, 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 you don't want receivers at 6'4". You want them to be 6'2 or 6'1". You know, to me, it doesn't really matter. It's how good is he? Yeah. Yeah, those things are a lot of it's like trends and it's not, it's yeah. probably So, I mean, running backs... Yeah. You know, there was a time probably when people were like, yeah, running backs have to be 220. And then all of a sudden, Chris Johnson and Jamal Charles show up within a year or two of each other. And everyone's like, oh, wait a minute. You know, <laughs> right. so, you know, for, for me, if all things are equal, yeah, bigger is better. But all things are never equal. Right. <laughs> you know, right. You, you have to judge each player on his own merit. So, you know, could there be a 195 pound running back that I'd be willing to take with the number one pick in a dynasty draft? Yeah, sure. It could happen. Right. Is it, yeah. is it likely to happen? No, not, not this could. year in particular. <laughs> no, definitely not this year. I think, um, yeah, the running backs actually are pretty big this year, aren't they? Yeah, like, I, mean, I don't it's... think I don't think there's a guy under 200 in my top 13, 14 guys. Yeah, yeah, they're they're. I could be wrong, but I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right too. And uh, the you know it's funny because uh, Dobbins came in a little bit light, like Swift came in maybe a little bit lighter than I would have hoped. But again, they're still all well above 200 pounds. So um, yeah, and, and you know it's... Dobbins at Dobbins is 209 and he's benching 23. So <laughs> so you know. I think right there you have to say, well, you got to give him two ten at least. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, uh, so let me ask you this. So let's just go back to Jordan Love for a second. What do you? Yeah. Because I'm interested in like I, I have seen this thing the past couple of years, and I think it's really exploitable, which is you get like a narrative against uh, it has been quarterbacks. So the last two have been Daniel Jones and um, and Josh Allen. And there's yep. a lot of criticism, and it was a little bit different. Josh Allen was, I think, criticism from a accuracy tape perspective. Daniel yeah. Jones, I think, got the got basically labeled with the Gettleman. There's, there's the analytics <laughs> community just just wants to sort of do whatever Dave How Gettleman does, make that? fun of him. <laughs> so uh, I mean, we can debate. I mean, there's some things that he does that probably you know, what, but but that one. No, but it I mean, like. But he exists before Dave Gettleman, right? Like, you can't True. say this yes. guy is X and then Dave Gettleman drafts him and now he's Y. I mean, right. that's not fair. Right. But, but no, I mean, I know what you're saying, though. I know it's, it's, saying. Not, it's not fair to Daniel Jones. It might be fair to Dave Gettleman. So, um, right. yeah. Right. So, well, and, and it is fair to say now he's a giant. Right. Like, that's fair. 
Right. And I'm not saying it's bad or good, but you know, you 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 do become a product of your environment. I I like to say, you know, what I call an offense. I I tend to use the word platform. Mm-hmm. What platform does the player get? And I think your platform is really really important. And it it, do, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're surrounded by talent. I just like. You know, who's calling the plays? Who's designing the plays? Do they have an open mind, right? We don't want Cordero Patterson to go to Norv Turner, right? right? We didn't want that, right? We wanted him to go to Sean freaking Payton, but we didn't get it, right? So we need to understand that some players are going to be more platform sensitive than others. Right. Um, Sorry, yeah, that's on a tangent. No, no, that's totally, that's totally true. Um the but it's interesting from like a dynasty perspective those two guys were both values whether it's super flex or even start one i mean that uh, that that round three round four of start one leagues right top 10 quarterbacks going in there that's usually the value spot i had the 13th pick in a super flex draft and i took carry on johnson And the guy behind me at 14 was freaking out. He's like, oh, God, I really want to carry on. I'm like, yeah, me too. You know, <laughs> you're not getting him. Um, but then he starts just offering up all this stuff. And eventually he offered a number one the next year, the next pick, and like a second rounder. And he offered me, and he threw in a player I really needed. Um, oh, it was, I had Dalvin Cook and he had Latavius Murray. So he gave, this is when Lat Murray was still a Viking. So yeah. they threw all that shit at me and I'm like, well, sorry, I just cursed on your podcast. Um, they threw all of that at me and I'm like, okay. So I dropped back and I took Josh Allen at 13. <laughs> it's turned you out know? pretty good. And, and, yeah. And everybody's <laughs> sort of like, ah, Josh Allen this, Josh Allen that. And I'm like, everything you guys just threw at me in this league message board is valid. But the thing that you guys are ignoring is upside, mm-hmm. right? So, like, Josh Allen wasn't about the downside. He was about the upside. Right, right. You know, like, how many quarterbacks are going to give me that type of box score potential? <laughs> I, I don't care if the, I don't care if his miss passes go into the 14th row. I don't care. Right. I care. I care that he might run for 90 yards on a single play. I care that he's more likely to score a touchdown than the running back when they're inside the five yard line. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, I wasn't drafting. I wasn't making a statement that I thought he could become more accurate. I was making a statement that based on the draft capital, the bills just plunked in. This guy's going to be starting for a while and I'm going to be able to tap into a whole lot of foot points. And if he can just throw the ball at all, this is probably going to work out for me. Yeah. You know, I, I think sometimes people become so caught up in the aesthetics of a player that they forget about the upside. Yeah. And, and, and Jordan love for me was sort of in that area for a while where nobody was giving him any love. So I'm sitting there looking at a guy who's like, you know, at the, at the, at the very worst, Jordan love is what I would call a Johnny Bravo guy where he crosses off all the boxes. It, you know, you're young. So you don't know what Johnny Bravo is. It's an old Brady bunch episode, but the <laughs> whole point was, it doesn't matter if you're any good. Do you fit the suit? He fits the suit, right? NFL teams are going to, take a, a shot at Jordan Love. They're going to. I know NFL teams. Like, even if he's not good, he's going to get a shot. Now, the other side of the coin is, I think he is good. So, he fits the suit, and I think he's good. Now, does Jordan Love have problems? Yeah. I mean, he throws the ball to the wrong team too often. He <laughs> makes some some poor decisions. But 
like when I watch him play, to me, his floor is like Jay Cutler. And I'm in on that for Superflex. Yeah. If I can get him early second, if I can drive Jay Cutler early second round, I'm on that. And when I say Jay Cutler, what I'm basically what I'm saying is, yeah, he might make some bad decisions, but it's pretty. I mean, like, I don't know how anybody can watch Jordan Love and not like the way he throws the football. I don't know how anybody can watch Jordan Love and not think he's a plus athlete for the position. You know, I don't know how anybody can watch Jordan Love and not think, you know, that he's a very mobile player. And when, you know, when you can combine 6'4", 224 with good mobility and explosive movement and a big arm and a lot of natural ability, hey, you know what? I'm willing to take the chance that maybe it doesn't all come together between the ears. I'm more than willing to take that chance. Yeah. And that's the, there's a difference between, you know, people will say, oh, his, he's, you know, he's got a high bus rate, but really what you're trying to capture and in, in, especially in dynasty is you're trying to capture a, an elite outcome, right? Because exactly. The, Cause that's what the quarter, if you can't have an elite quarterback, you don't have one. Right. And, and to finish as a championship team, right? You're finishing as one out of 12, right? That is a, that isn't the stock market. That is, you know, right. that's a top 8% outcome. And to sort of think through that lens, it's an interesting, yeah. especially it's at funny. his cost, the upside that he could give. Well, that's the thing. I don't know what the cost is anymore. So like my love for Jordan is now sort of in flux. I, I'm going to have to see what people are paying. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you just brought up something, which is a big, thing that I come back to a lot in August when I'm talking to people and I'm doing my draft plan. But so many people play fantasy football and they've got this binary mentality. And it's like, dude, this is a one in 12 game. Don't come in with this binary mentality. Like there's like people get so focused on what's going to cause me to lose. It's like, dude, 11 people are going to lose. Right. You're much better served on what is it going to take to win? Like that, to me, that thought process is going to get you in the winner's circle a lot more. Because you need to make decisions through that lens, right? Like that's, you yeah. have to think that way. And right, 11 out of 12 people are going to lose, but right. you're, you're going to be much more likely to lose if, you, or if you're just trying to protect your floor, well, it's, protect your it's like Yeah, right? it's like the psychology, just the human psyche, people hate to lose. So they get into this point where it's like, I'm either going to win or going to lose. And that slowly morphs into a, a, a 50-50 kind of thought process where there's winning and losing. Well, the truth of the matter is there's one winner and then there's 11 degrees of bad. <laughs> right. So, I, you know, I don't care if I'm the sixth degree of bad. I want to maximize my chances of being one. Yeah, totally. That's, so that, that, that's absolutely right. That, yeah, that, That's how my thought process is always going to work. Yeah. And it, it, Sorry. it doesn't mirror. No, no, it's no, It's totally true. Like it doesn't mirror. You don't see that much in terms of like sports or in terms of like investing or anything like that, like any of the comps that you would have because teams don't want to go 0 and 16 because they might lose their job. Right. Or they don't want to go 0 and 16. Oh, yeah. it'll have bottom, you know, it'll have, it'll have revenue problems or whatever. That's, like that's, this is interesting that you brought that up. Because, yeah, what's the worst thing in the NFL when you have the owner on one page, the GM on another, and then the coach on yet another, right? right. Nothing, nothing can be worse than diverging priorities within the same organization, right? So don't be a dynasty GM that has somehow the same problem where 
because when you're a dynasty GM, you're the coach and you're the GM, right? You set the lineup, but you also make all the acquisition choices. Don't have two separate philosophies. They need to work together. Right. Right. And I think yeah. some people actually allow that to happen where they start thinking one way as a GM, but then when the season starts, they start grab bagging. It's like, like I'm a big fixate on the horizon guy. Keep the flashlight, excuse me, keep the headlights down the road. Don't, don't look right in front of your car. Cause that's when you make the most mistakes. Yeah. Especially absolutely. trading. You see people I make think, that mistake all the time. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I saw something in your timeline I might have retweeted it or commented on it, but it was something to the effect of one of the most underrated qualities or you can have in dynasty is patience. Yeah. Um, and like I drive dynasty players nuts because I am so patient. It just, it, it drives people crazy. You know, people be like, you drafted this guy two years ago. He hasn't done anything. I'm like, okay, why do you want him? <laughs> for, right. Yeah, yeah. First of all, but you know, you you shouldn't want that much for you know Anthony Miller. Sorry, I do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I I'm I I draft the guys I like, and then I'm patient. Like, I there's a lot of guys I draft where I look at this player as a two to three year window player. Well, why am I flipping him after a bad rookie year? You know. Right. And 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 that's just my philosophy. I'm not saying that, you know, you know having a long view with all your players is the way to go. It works for me. It doesn't mean it works for everybody. Some people, they're much more, I want to be a high volume trader. I want to on average win trades. So the more I trade, the better I am. I think that's a perfectly valid strategy, but it only works if you're in a league that will allow that kind of volume. And if you're the kind of GM who will actually go and make all the trades, right? Right. Like, like, like for me to say, I'm going to play it that way would be stupid. I'm never going to make all the deals. Right. It has to, your strategy has to reflect your person, right? Your personality, Absolutely. what you're good at. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it should reflect your skill set and it should also, it, it should reflect your own reality. Yes. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. Um, all right. So I have, so I have two final questions for you in terms okay. of, we'll do one for this draft and then one big picture at, okay. at, at what you perceive their value to be right now. What's one player that you could envision owning 100% of them uh, in your rookie drafts? Oh, okay. This is, oh, that's a good question. Um, okay. I just, let me just qualify it with this. This is really tough for me to say before the NFL draft. This will be probably really easy for me to say right after the NFL draft. Um, but having said that, let me, I'm just going to buzz down my, now if Ruggs was going later, Ruggs would be on the list. Um, when you say later, like like 112 I, in, a, I, in Superflex later, or is that would it have to be well, later than that? I, let me just be really honest about something. I haven't done a Dynasty startup in like three years. So, okay. so <laughs> I, I, I don't think Dynasty startup that that well. I would You would have to like say, Pete, you have a startup next week. Then all of a sudden I would get crystallized on that. But, no, I mean um, rookie draft wise, rookie draft wise, like no, back no, half I, of first I round. I, I would say, oh, um. I, for me to be like just jumping all over rugs, he would probably have to be like a Philip Dorsett or a McLaurin where he's sliding into the second. Okay. Um, then I'm then I'm using my second pick and I'm trying to move up. Um, but but anyway, um, I'm I'm just gonna guess. I think Lavisca Chenault is a guy. If he slips, I could own a lot of him. 
Um, and then on the running back side, this is going to be sort of weird to say, but um, AJ Dillon. Mm. Yeah. I see myself because, and the reason is, he's getting so hugely disrespected. I, I've got people talking about him like he's not on my board. I've got people talking about him like, eh, third round, something like that. If A.J. Dillon is getting into the third round, I will have him in like every single league. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. The uh, It's funny because his combine, like I'm not sure LeBron could have done what he did at his combine. Like that's how freakish his combine was. Like what? it was just unbelievable. It, it, it makes you ask the question, what did he have to do? Right, right. I Catch mean, ball standing on his head, I guess. I guess yeah, that's what I he mean, had like, to do. I fully understand that he's not going to put up reception statistics at a significant level. But having said that, I do think people are uster, are underestimating the potential for him to do it. Like it would not surprise me if AJ Dillon caught more balls on early downs than people think he's going to. Um, yeah. I, obviously, he's not going to be like a third down back. Obviously. Um, but I just think people are underestimating him. I think his ability to maybe be a Chris Henry type, it could happen. Meanwhile, Chris Henry went at the top of drafts. This guy's going to be going like late second, early third. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, and they can't catch passes until they do. And that's like Leonard Fournette. Yeah. No one, no yeah. one in their right mind would have projected him to get a hundred targets, let alone 65. Right? Like, yeah. And then so much of reception numbers are just the scheme. Yeah, you totally, know? totally. You know, um, you, if you play with yeah. Philip Rivers, you're going to catch passes. <laughs> right. If you're a running back and you play with Philip Rivers, you're catching passes, even if you can't. But right. anyway. Yeah, no, it's that's all totally. Right. I'm totally with you on that. Uh, all right, la- final question. Yeah. What is one thing outside of fantasy football? Like, what's the biggest thing outside of fantasy football or whether it's outside of sports in general? It can be um, a non-football thing that you have found uh, value in incorporating it into your uh, fantasy football process. Oh, huh. See, that's tough for me because I'm a film guy. Um, yeah. It can just be decision making, too, in terms of like team building well, or anything. Like that. I've always been a big fan of games of strategy. And mm-hmm. so I just think just someone who plays a lot of games of strategy all the way through my life just helps me in fantasy football because fantasy football is a game of strategy. Um, so that would be one. And then I think the other is just I was one of those kids where you had to pull me off the court. Like my parents had to come find me at night to get me inside. Um, you know, I was one of those kids where I was playing basketball until the custodian came in and said, you have to go home now. Um, so, <laughs> but being one of those people, I'm not sitting here saying that I'm some great athlete, but the, the benefit of being a kid who played tons of sports is that I watched a lot of athletes. Um, and the more you watch, the more you learn. Um, the other thing is being a tennis player, tennis is about breaking your opponent down. Like the first thing you need to do in a tennis match is assess the other side of the net. What can this guy do? What is this guy doing to exploit me? What are his weaknesses? What can I attack? And the only way you can do that is to understand what's good, what's not good, what skill looks like, all of that. So as an athlete, it's something that I had to do my whole life. And I think that's why I'm able to do it. And I think that's why I trust myself to do it. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. I always like seeing how different people, you know, what different people bring to it. Because I think what we, and something that you hit on before, what we are good at or what we yeah. 
what we like to do is should form our strategy. And I think that it's always interesting to see how people do that outside of, um, outside of fantasy football. So, um, I was remember I was at a, I was at a college match. We were playing, my college was playing Brown. It was during spring break. Now, obviously I'm going to (laughs) lose against Brown, but I remember sitting there and and the coach of Brown was just amazing. I mean, I sat next, I'm one of these people, I'm a big believer in, talk to as many smart people as you can. And I was listening to him talk to my coach and within about 30, within about two minutes, I'm like, wow, this guy is about 10 times smarter than my coach. So I was hanging with the Brown coach most of the day, just sitting, talking to him, you know, just picking his brain. And at one point the, the team bus from Wheaton college pulls up to this tournament that we're at. And he's like, he's like, Pete, watch this. He's like, I'm going to tell you when these guys walk off the bus, He's like, I'm going to tell you who their number one, number two, and number three players are. I'm like, I'm like, okay. He's like, no, no, watch. I'll do it. The guy did it, okay? And he basically took body language and determined from that confidence and determined from that who was number one, who was number two, who was number three. And he, the dude nailed it, okay? And I really learned something that day, that it's important to trust your instincts and it's important to understand what is ascertainable. Um, one of the, that book that I mentioned to you before by David Eagleman. One of the things that he talked about in the book, and this is really a tangent, but there's this thing in I think it was China that in these factories where they separate the little chick, the, the chickens, they do this thing called sexing. The female chicken, the female chickadees are put into one bin, and the males are put into another. And at that age, you cannot tell. The difference between a male and a female but they have these people they're called sexers and they literally pick the chick up look at it put it down in one bin or the other they can't teach the skill it can only be taught through rep- repetitious learning like there's like you can't say this is what you're looking for it's pure feel but the people who are good at it are right like 99.9 percent of the time oh. So it's this it's this thing about the human brain. Our brains can do so much more than our conscious mind can actually tap into. And so if you if you can learn to trust your brain, there are things you can do that you that without that trust, you wouldn't be able to do. So a a, a big thing for me was learning to trust my brain. I don't know if that made any sense at all. No, it totally does. It totally does. It's a, but, that's yeah, but, it's totally true. Yeah. So yeah. for me, that's been a big part of it. Um, and you know, it, the, the thing I don't like about it is that it sounds egotistical and it, it really isn't because like, if I was an egomaniac, I would decide to be an analytics guy because that's where, <laughs> that's where all the, that's where all the glory is in fantasy football. But the thing is, I know for a fact that I personally know a hundred different people who are better at analytics than I could ever be. But, you know, in film, you know, I've got some separation from the pack. So why would I move away from what I'm good at just to try to prove a point that I wouldn't be able to prove anyway? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, and you find value in it. So that's even. Yeah. Well, you and I were talking before the show started when, when you do things differently than everybody else, you may not be smarter than everybody else. My grades may be no better than your grades. Heck, they're probably not. But the fact that my board is completely different than everybody else's 
opens up trading opportunities for me that nobody else in the league has. So you may be looking to move up and I'm going to be the only guy returning your call. Right. Because my board looks different than everybody else's. So Yeah, that's totally true. And the the and I think you have the the upside when you're different. When you're the one out of twelve that's different. You have the Yeah. The system if if everything if all the systems fail, right, on everyone else's process, like you're the person to to capitalize, right? Because you're not based yeah, on like, that. Uh, yeah. Odell Beckham was a good example of that. Like all the analytics guys were telling me all these different things about Odell Beckham that made him not good. And I'm like Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to take Odell Beckham. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. But but you said something um, a while back that, that stuck in my mind because you came at this from an analytics point of view and I'm the same exact thing, but it's from a film point of view um, that there gets a point in a dynasty draft, in a rookie draft, where it's okay to take a quarterback. It's okay to take a tight end, you know, to, to go to a different position group. Where, you know, somebody, you know, everybody in the room is taking wide receiver 22. Why don't you just take tight end one or tight end two or QB two at that point? It's a much safer pick. But everybody is so obsessed with wide receiver and running back being the most important positions that they'd rather take desperate swipes at those positions than safe swipes at a position of lesser need. It, I think it's, it's useful to understand where those pivot points are. Um, and a lot of people don't even think about it as a pivot point in the first place. Right. Yeah, that's that's anyway, I, I think I think it was you and me that were having that conversation. I think so. I think I, that's that's I absolutely agree with it. So, yeah. Um, well, Pete, I want to I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, I, Thanks for having thank me you for for coming on. I think we're going to we're good. We talked about doing a home and home. So maybe it'll be an after the uh, after the draft type. Uh, we'll, we'll catch up again. Um, but we tell everyone yeah. where they can find you. Um, yeah, you can find me at Rotoban on Twitter, R-O-T-O-B-A-H-N. Um, Rotoban.com is my website during the football season. Um, you'll find my content on WEEI.com in Boston. And I have a live radio show um, on football Sundays and in August uh, all throughout New England. So if you're a New Englander, definitely check that out. And yeah, we got to get you on my pod soon. Like, I don't want this in three weeks. We should try to get this done like next weekend. Yeah, we could definitely do that. I'll be I'll, I'm in quarantine, so I got all the time in the world. Um, so <laughs> that's here. the, that's the benefit of that. So, um, all right. Um, just before we go, I just want to put a reminder out there. Uh, all of the I'm doing, as you, as you mentioned, on the quarantine side, uh, I've been in quarantine for a while. So I'm doing a daily podcast over on Patreon on the Patreon side. So patreon.com slash analytics of dynasty. Uh, I got you covered throughout the NFL draft uh, in through May. Uh, I'll have daily podcasts going at least through the end of April and then most likely uh, through mid-May as this uh, COVID quarantine continues on. I'm Every day I'm inside, I'm releasing a podcast. So um, so that'll be over there, patreon.com slash analytics of dynasty. You can get in there, uh, get all the podcasts. It'll have uh, all of the dynasty tiers, all of the um, the, super the super flex ADP tracker. I'm going to be tracking rookie drafts as well. So it'll give you up to the minute ADP, which is uh, it will be valuable in terms of, um, you know, pre- some of these mock markets hitting and then uh, we'll see it move in real time as well. So you get all of that over at patreon.com slash analytics of dynasty. You can get in there for, um, for 10 bucks a month. It'll give you all the podcasts and all that data. So, um, all right, Pete, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. And uh, until next time, continue embracing the variants and we will talk again soon.